Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, a rejection is not what CF Lime Ridge or Hamilton Bulldogs owner wanted to hear from City Council, but that's what they got. CHML Scott Radley spoke last night with the Executive Vice President of Development for CF Lime Ridge about the council decision, and they're not happy about it. We'll talk with them. Hometown hockey coming to the area this weekend at uh, the Morgan Firestone Arena. Ron McLean, the host, joins us on the program. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. To begin with, I want to get right to this. Uh, this is a story that we talked about considerably over the last couple of weeks, and that, of course, is the possibility of a new arena for the city, uh, which is not a new story, but there was a new wrinkle to it, of course, a few months ago when uh, Bulldogs owner Michael Andlar uh, made a presentation to Hamilton City Council about a, a proposed arena at Lime Ridge Mall in uh, concert, by the way, with uh, the folks that own Lime Ridge Mall, Cadillac Fairview. And uh, council just the other day, of course, uh, decided to take no action, uh, which is really political talk for we don't gonna, we're not going to do anything. It's just forget it. We're, we're not even interested in this. It's a shock, frankly, uh, considering some of the numbers. Last night here on CHML, on Scott Radley's show, uh, Scott talked with uh, Wayne Barwise, who was the director of development for Cadillac Fairview, uh, who obviously have some skin in the game here. Uh, they are the largest taxpayer in the city of Hamilton, and uh, it wasn't just an arena. There was an awful lot of more uh, to this deal, too, including some huge, huge developments. And uh, this is what Mr. Barwise had to say about uh, Council's decision. Yeah, so firstly, look, I think they made the wrong decision. I think the decision lacks vision, and I think it's, uh, it's short-sighted, and I think they ought to reconsider it. I think that they based the decision on... Uh, wrong numbers. Uh, I also think that it's really important to, in addition to investing downtown, to invest uh, in the suburbs and in the mountain areas. And that's a trend which is happening uh, all across the country. What we're seeing is the urbanization of key suburban nodes. Uh, this is a key suburban node. I mean, Lime Ridge being the largest uh, taxpayer in the center is important to the community. Uh, Retail's going through a tough time, as everyone knows. Sears closed a year or so ago. And it's really important to, to, to reinvent these centers. And one of the best ways to do it is to, is to reinvest with entertainment uh, and, uh, and sporting complex that could be a catalyst for all kinds of subsequent development, uh, hotels, uh, residential. Um, and it, it's important uh, to, to do that. It's Wayne Barwise uh, from Cadillac Fairview. He is the uh, Director of Development and obviously uh, not at all impressed with City Council's handling of this whole issue. Uh, we want to bring Michael Andlar into the conversation. Michael, of course, is the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs and uh, always a welcome guest on this program. Michael, thank you so much for the time. It's been a busy week for you today, uh, this last few days. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think hosting the prospect game yesterday, uh, showcasing Hamilton uh, coast-to-coast coast on, on uh, national TV, and uh, I think we put on a great show and uh, with all, every NHL team in the building uh, uh, showing off the best, uh, the best for this year's draft, upcoming yep. draft. Well, I had work last night, but I did have it on television, and uh, yeah, it, it showed well. A great crowd there, and good game, too, by the way. That, that's uh, yeah. Actually, a lot of the uh, a lot of the GMs have remarked that that they thought that this was definitely not an all star game for. Uh, uh, in, in, this was definitely a showcase. These players definitely want to prove themselves, and they want to make sure that they uh, they get picked in the first round of this year's NHL draft. Well, I hope maybe the next time that we do a prospects game, it's going to be at the new arena at Lime Ridge Mall. But uh, it's it's <laughs> it's looking pretty dark right now, Michael. Yeah, it was. I must. Uh, yes, I, I I do. Uh, I guess we've we've. We've all read, uh, uh, you know, the, the city reports, and and uh, I guess council met on Wednesday, and uh, and uh, you know decided that uh, they they want to focus on downtown. It was it was a mandate that they had uh, prior to me coming up with a potential solution, and it was definitely uh, the you know the focus and and the only focus uh, based on what I've read. Uh, Certainly disappointing, uh, but I do respect their decision to focus only on downtown. If that's if that's the vision and that's and that's what they want, it's not. I don't necessarily have never, and I've and I've been. I think I've spoken about it many times. Uh, I've I've never I've never said that this wasn't a, a good idea. My only uh, issue was execution, and uh, you know, I mean, this has been going on for three years. It's a, you know, at, at least three years, uh, probably longer than that. 
But uh, the, the disappointing fact is how they approached it, how, how this report was skewed and, and somewhat tainted uh, just to, you know, to, make, to, to dismiss uh, the solution. And, you know, uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, and, I, and I, we can go with, on with the numbers, but I think that's, that's uh, um, I think Scott Radley, you, you, you've written all about it. Yeah, uh, and we, he had uh, Mr. Barwise on the program last night. We just ran that clip, as you heard. Um, yeah. and, and they dispute this, too. I mean, I, I get the sense sometimes, Michael, and, and I'm going to lay the cards on the table here because I, I know people don't like to, to draw the comparison between this and the stadium debate from a few years ago, but it's the way that council is handling it is pretty much the same way as they come to a conclusion and then they work backwards to try to justify it. Very much, very much so. And then, and but that, but 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 then again, you know, like I said, I do respect their decision. I've, I've, I I came in here not not to try to be uh, you know pain in the ass. I, I've never I've never asked for anything in the last sixteen years. I've been in this community. Uh, I've I've uh, I've tried to you know I've tried to lead by example. Um, you know, and and I tried to lead by example by 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 coming up and 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 uh, and. You know, putting my own money where my mouth was, uh, and and trying to find a solution, and and teaming up with Cadillac Fairview, who's probably the, one of the greatest developers in this country, mm-hmm. and, and you know they're global now. Uh, what they've done, and you know, in in all kinds of major cities and in this country, whether it be a uh, you know the de- you know developing the Jurassic Park in downtown Toronto, I, I, it to me it was exciting because I knew that that together we would we would create something special for for Hamiltonians and it would become a destination and it would be it would be uh, it would be exciting and and you know on their lands uh, that they were donating uh, their vision uh, you know it, it, at the end of the day I it's more me partnering up with Cadillac Fairview than the other way around uh, but but it, you know and we we had worked together in Montreal and folks who would go to Montreal. Who looks at the Bell Center from ten years ago and how it looks today? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's quite the transformation. And so they, they, I felt comfortable and confident that they, we could do that. The city report, uh, you know, basically, you know, it, it, it compares compares uh, uh, the, the what we put on as an offer, which, by the way, was was when I spoke for three hours at council was not not say take it or leave it it was it was say here here's here's a potential solution what do you think about it and 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 perhaps work together and that's why i I, you know getting involved with with the ministry of transport talking about a transit hub trying to create a park and ride for go uh, all those things that we could work collectively uh together um to create a win-win-win situation that's that was the intent it was never never you know trying to uh, and I'll get to I'll get to my biggest disappointment in a second, but uh, but it was never it was never to it was to try to find a solution because there was no solution. There was a vision, but there's no no nobody nobody had put anything forward. So I was just putting something forward and putting thirty million dollars on the table to to show that we were serious about this, and uh, and now they decided to 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 compare it. You know, they rely on this E and Y report, this Young report, and uh, and the, the reports. Specifically stated uh, that 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 uh, uh, you know uh, first Ontario Centre was a non-starter uh, that to, to, you know um, and that they should be looking at a new building, uh, but yet the whole comparison is based on status quo, uh, which you know you're talking about two different two different beasts here, and then they, they include the parking garage, which was something that was should have been if this was going to work, would have had to have uh, other levels of government uh, getting involved. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, they packaged everything together. So obviously inflated the numbers and created, created this, you know, this report that, that, that looks on the surface as being uh, flawed. So to me, that's, you know, there was no intent to try to work together to try to find a solution. It was strictly a mountain versus downtown. And that, and that, and that for that, I do respect as long as we, it gets continued and gets the vision comes out, and that was my, that's been my biggest. They've been talking about this for years, and nothing has been done. And that, for me, that's 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 a disappointing part. Uh, the, the the other disappointing part, I must add, is is um, uh, certain counselors uh, uh, who who come out who who I don't even know uh, decide to attack my credibility 
and uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, somewhat that I might be disingenuous and that my financial commitment is not there. You know, John Paul Denko, I've never met. Uh, he's never spoken to me. Uh, I've never, I spoke to him only at the council meeting. I've never seen him at the first Ontario Center. And uh, to me, to, to have somebody, uh, to me, the disrespect uh, to me was, was something that kind of took me aback. I, and um, uh, for that, I was, I was, I was kind of taken back. And then, then obviously he starts to discredit uh, the hockey in its own right, the fact that it's, you know, this is not even, uh, this is boys hockey, uh, and that it's not, uh, you know, that, that senior hockey is better hockey than boys, and starts starts talking about how how uh, uh, it's not really relevant. Um, I guess last night was not very relevant. Uh, uh, I guess, but in any case, to me, that 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 type of disrespect, I thought, wow, that that's uh, that was a lesson in politics that. Uh, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't seen before. Well, Michael, look, uh, for for counsel to, to indicate or to even suggest that you're being disingenuous about this is the kettle calling the pot black. I mean, I, I don't think they've given you a fair shake on this, and 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 uh, you know, I'm I'm very dis dis I'm just ticked off at the the, the way they've handled this whole thing. I, I haven't dealt with staff the way that you have, but I, I've seen some of the remarks from city councilors, and to, to be as dismissive of the of this as they were on this just indicates to me that they really haven't got their act together. There is no plan B. I mean, you know, the I, the way they characterized uh, before you made your presentation an unsolicited proposal. There is no other proposal. You're the only guy that came forward and said, "I got a plan." Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, for, and I'm and I'm, I, you know, so I, I I've never been approached by city council. By the way, uh, in since the the city council meeting, I haven't been approached by. Um, by anyone uh, from the city with respect to uh, to this, I've had one. Cadillac Fairview and I have had a one-hour meeting uh, since, uh, and and from that they they made their report. Um, so and it's taken from October till I guess what January now uh, to come back. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I what I do know is that there's probably a um, uh, you know, certainly there've been there's been people outspoken with respect to development uh, with the you know Rancor group uh, who who has most of the hotels in the city to uh, to uh, P J Mercanti with this group about the Commonwealth. So uh, that's uh, but it's all speculative. It's all conceptual, uh, and, and and that's that's all I know about it. And I suggest it, it might be one of those two groups that might be coming up uh, with. Uh, uh, you know, so maybe this whole exercise has expedited this. Uh, I don't know, but like I said, we had a concrete proposal. We were ready to put shovels in the ground ASAP. We got a Sears building that's dormant uh, at Cadillac Fairview, and uh, the vision was there. The execution would be there. It was just a matter of sitting down with the city and working, working things out. And but they, they had, they would have none of it uh, based on a one-hour. Meeting uh, with uh, with uh, some city folks and and uh, uh, and then basically uh, you know so it's, to me it was truly a downtown versus mountain uh, it, it, you know it's about having an entertainment con- um, um, uh, um, venue uh, uh, in the downtown core and for that I'm not I don't I don't I don't I, I I have to respect that decision. That's something that the city wants, and that's something that, but to me, it's it's about execution, and, and uh, we still don't have anything yet. Well, listen, we went through this same thing, and again, I don't want to get the stadium, but they insisted that the new football stadium for the Pan Am game should be downtown, too. Uh, and it, it ended up not being downtown. And by the way, the sun came up the next morning, too, and it, we're fine. I mean, to, to try to jam everything into a downtown core like this, I mean, it's... And they say, well, that's part of the directive. Well, they made the directive. I mean, you know, it's it's not as if it's carved in stone or anything like this. I mean, this is a big city, and this is a growing city, and, and you don't know, you've done the, the number crunching on this one. The majority of people that go to your games don't live downtown. They're in other areas of the city, and Lime Ridge would have been an ideal location. Uh, and we've already talked about the Cadillac Fairview with Mr. Barwise. And, uh, and by the way, that's a concern that I don't think city council's given serious consideration to as well. Uh, you've had discussions with Cadillac Fairview, and you know that if they don't start to, to reinvent uh, the mall experience, as Mr. Barwise told Scott Radley last night, uh, more stores are going to leave. And uh, listen, you've traveled the States, Michael, and you've seen there's an awful lot of empty shopping malls that have been totally abandoned. Uh, 
if Hamilton starts losing its biggest taxpayer, we're in deep, deep trouble. And I don't think council's given that much thought either. But I, well, well, I, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I think I think Wayne. By the way, Wayne Wayne's a you know he's one of the top guys. At, he's executive vice president yeah. uh, at Cadillac Fairview. So we're not talking about somebody that's uh, he he. The buck stops with him. Uh, so it was it was actually, and I don't I don't know if I've ever heard him do interviews. So I, I'm 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 pleasantly surprised that he would come on. So obviously it was it, it was bothering him. I think what he was stipulating was that this would accelerate development uh, very quickly. Of course, uh, of course it would. And, and and this is a this is a this is a, a business a Cadillac Fairview that, that that has you know reinvented itself. Uh, you know, if you go to Showway Gardens and you you, you know they, they they have no problem investing hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, you know, uh, and and doing it right. What they've also done is they've shed themselves of all the B and C malls. Uh, so that's that's something that I'm not I'm, I'm you know that's 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 fact. Uh, and I think that's that's you know maybe that's why there was a bit of a uh, you know. Listen, I, uh, they tell me I got to get out of here. We're almost out of time, but I got one final question for you, and I, it's the question everybody's asking right now: What do you do now? I mean, I know you you're committed to playing here next year, uh, but yeah. you you need a different facility, and I, these guys are dragging their heels and, and chasing their tails here. W- what happens to the Bulldogs now? And I and I've, I was clear. I mean, uh, you know. While ago, the status quo uh, wasn't wasn't good enough uh, going forward. But I, I would be patient, um, and and, and I, I, I you know what I, I I think people know I love the city. I've been here for 16 years. Uh, what we do in the community, and and I and I I, I would love to work something out. Uh, I thought this was a, a solution that could could have been worked out. Um, uh, but you know, it's because of this report, because of the the, the press, uh, I, I have had interest. I'm not going. I'll be totally transparent. Um, and, uh, from uh, from outside, uh, not too far away, and and, I'll, and I've I've always said I would never pawn one off the other. I would never. I, w- I was not that guy. I, I'm I, so uh, you know my credit, my integrity, and credibility means a lot to me. Uh, that's why I'm so disappointed with, uh, with Mr. Councilor Denko's uh, comments. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I have to look at all 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 my alternatives, and I'll do what's in the best interest for fans. Uh, and you know, and and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, well, Michael, uh, this is not the end of this. So there's an awful lot of people that want to see the, some some action from City Council. I know we'll have more discussions about this in the, in the days and weeks ahead. But thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Mike. Michael Landler, of course, Warner of the Hamilton Bulldogs. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Boy, a lot of uh, pushback and a lot of feedback about uh, my uh, discussion with Michael Landler just a couple of minutes ago. This is typical of a number of the emails we've received here. Uh, what in God's name is wrong with these counselors? That's how it begins. They play so fast and loose with taxpayers' dollars, have zero credibility with any senior levels of government, zero respect for the residents of this backward community, and are so cliché as to be completely ineffectual. Please, please, voters of Hamilton, a whole new crop of councillors and an engaged, respected mayor next voting day. In the meantime, go Burlington Bulldogs. Well, that may be the case. I mean, you heard Michael Andlar saying, look, in light of the city council decision, he has to look at other options now. He is a businessman, and uh, he's spent an awful lot of money on this franchise and on that arena downtown, too, for that matter, over the last little while. Uh, but I know that there are other options, and uh, that's that's something that's got to be considered. And, of course, that Ernst & Young report that everyone keeps uh, using as their Bible here says if there's no main tenant, no anchor tenant, we got big problems here. So if that hockey club leaves, oh, yeah, we'll get an NHL team. I'm sure that's what some people are thinking. But that's not the only player here. That's the hockey end of things. But as uh, Scott Radley uh, discovered last night when he talked with uh, Wayne Barwise, who is the senior vice president with Cadillac Fairview that owned Lime Ridge Mall, uh, Mr. Barwise was quite adamant and I think quite clear because for every council decision, there are ramifications. And if this project that they were proposing doesn't go through, well, as uh, Mr. Barwise said, uh, things are going to change up at Lime Ridge, too. Well, I think the short answer to that is yes, it is at risk. And, and um, you know, to just start tomorrow building, um, building residential on that site uh, is probably a questionable thing because 
uh, you know, you've got to create some some excitement, uh, some excitement for people. People have not traditionally chosen to live uh, at a shopping center, right? We're trying to transform the shopping center, so it's more than a shopping center. So it's a mixed-use community. Um, so, you know, you you need other things. You need catalysts. Uh, it's uh, Wayne Barwise from Cadillac Fairview. The uh, guy at the other end of the microphone during that interview last night, of course, was our own Scott Riley, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Uh, Scotty, great interview last night, by the way. I listened to it again this morning when I got into work. Uh, we've got two guys that want to invest a, a lot of money into this city right now that basically just got kicked in the butt by city council. They don't seem very happy about it. Well, I couldn't help but think last night while he was talking that we have spent... Um, how many years now, Bill, worrying and working towards getting a $1 billion investment for LRT? And here's a guy saying we're going to put a billion dollar almost investment into this, but it could potentially be at risk. And oh well. I mean, it, like it, 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 when, he's, when the number is put out there and when he gives that answer, it, it does seem rather striking that we will move heavens and earth and fight with everybody and never give up the fight to get LRT because it's a $1 billion investment. And this is almost that much that they're proposing. And we seem, I don't know what the word, disinterested, uh, skeptical. I'm not sure what it is, but it, it, that, that's what struck me out of that interview and out of talking to him yesterday. I, I don't know where this is going to leave us. And, and like I say, I don't want to get into worst-case scenarios, but, I mean, we know, and, and I know Michael doesn't want to talk about it publicly, but we know that there are other communities that are interested in, because in, in, uh, I've talked to some of the people in those communities, and, and they say, look, we're not going to poach, but if it gets to the point where he says this is untenable, uh, you know, here's our number. So there are other options for him. And uh, without an anchor tenant, I don't care what kind of money they want to put downtown or what they're going to build downtown or if, if somebody else is going to try to refurbish First Ontario Centre again. It's not going to do any good if you don't have a hockey team. There is um, There has been a lot of discussion online, and I've heard from people. And one of the streams of conversation or one of the, the lines of the narrative is, well, look, it's, it, it's OHL hockey. Who cares? It's not that big a deal. Well, that may be so, that may not be so, but the reality is, as you say, Bill, that the Ernst & Young report, which the city does agree with, and the city, uh, city staff, city council do point to, says exactly what you said. You need to have an anchor tenant, and there's a couple reasons for that. It's not just because they'll bring 4,000 people into the building a few nights a year, you, you the point was brought up, I believe it was on your show yesterday, about you know Pearl Jam will sell out. And Pearl Jam will sell out probably in a day. And we'll bring in the comment uh, from, I believe, Councillor Danko, is it'll bring in more money than the Bulldogs have made all year. That may well be true. The, the challenge, though, that I think that is getting overlooked here is, okay, how many of those do you have a year? And if you don't have an anchor tenant, how many Pearl Jam concerts or the like can you have in a year to keep the lights on and to keep a building that apparently you're still going to want to upgrade and maintain or have a new building downtown to make that work? It's, it's a, I, I don't, the, the, the storylines have become simplified to the point that they've become black or white. And there's a lot of shades of gray in this and a lot of nuance in this. Listen, your point is well taken, and let, let's let's use the last thirty years as a, as a, an example to underscore that, okay? Because what Councillor Denko is talking about is essentially what we've been doing. We bring in uh, the Springsteens and the Garth Brooks and, and Pearl Jam, and we have these fabulous concerts, and it's great. But they leave town that night, okay? Uh, and yeah, maybe that one night they make more money. But if if you're going to look at it that way. Look at the condition of that building. In other words, they're not making enough money to even do the upkeep on the building. So the, 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 the scenario he's, he's describing here is untenable because the damn thing is falling apart. It's leaking. It's got all kinds of work done because the city's not spending enough money because they're not making enough money on a weekly basis. Again, the, the, it, whether it's the Hamilton Bulldogs or whether it's an AHL team, if you could work that, or whether it's an NHL team, if people still believe that's a possibility, the report is abundantly clear that there has to be an anchor tenant. And so you become the chicken and the egg in this story if, as the city, you say, 
well, okay, we don't really care. If, if Michael Anlauer wants to take his team and leave, fine. We will fix up this building or do whatever we're going to do with our downtown entertainment precinct. And we will have this new building. But then you go back to the point, okay, what's going to be in that building? And if the answer is, well, we're going to have X number of big concerts a year, but the lights are going to be off most days, does that make any sense? And it goes back to that report of why you need an anchor tenant. You need an anchor tenant because if you're going to hire staff, you can't have a staff for a building that works four days a month. Who's, who's going to work on staff? If you, know, you need to have a consistent staff you can call in for events. You need to have reasons for the building to be kept up. There's, there's, look, it's, Bill, it's not, as I say, it's not black and white. It's becoming this black and white issue, much like the LRT, much like everything in this city becomes, that you're either ab- adamantly for it or vigorously against it, and you're going to fight to the death for this thing. And I think there's a lot more nuance, and I think that some of these nuanced positions have been kind of forgotten, and I'm not sure they were really addressed in the staff report. And so uh, I go back to my point that I said a couple days ago, and I think that there may be, there's another meeting coming up in front of council, and I believe it's going to be in camera in February 9th or February 5th. I can't remember what day it is. And apparently there's other information coming forward about the proposed or the idea of this downtown precinct. And who knows? Maybe in that meeting, maybe they've got names, maybe they've got developers, maybe they've got a plan that they're ready to roll out and say, surprise, here it is, this is how it's going to work. But I go back to my point, if you're going to have a building, if you're going to invest money into a building and keep it operating, you have to have something in there regularly, consistently, predictably. And I'm not sure what that would be if you just tell Anlauer or anyone else, for that matter, to just scram. Short-sightedness is what it really comes down to, and I know we're, we're kind of tight on time here, but it's it's bothersome uh, that they don't seem to understand that there are ramifications to this. Uh, if, for instance, and we'll develop a scenario, because, I mean, you've talked about some of the, the things we've seen on social media, some of the rumors, but there's some speculation that, that if this does not work out, that uh, they could be looking at, at something in Burlington. Uh, and, and I know I've talked to Mary, Marianne Mead-Ward about that, and she's uh, she's not on public record on anything like this, but I know there are business people in that community that are interested in doing something with Mr. Andalar if things don't work out in Hamilton. Does council not understand that if they build a new facility in Burlington, the entertainment goes there with them? (laughs) You know, he keeps talking about having Pearl Jam and Springsteen and everything else. Maybe they're going to play Burlington instead. Well, I mean, look, Pearl Jam would probably still come to Hamilton because there's 18,000 seats here, and in all likelihood, whatever Burlington, if Burlington was going to do it, they wouldn't build a, a facility that big. I'm just saying, it's to, to assume to assume that everything is going to be just hunky dory here. I think is is a naive assumption. There's there's going to be a, a reaction to this, and and you know there could be a, like a domino effect. Uh, I, I just I think they've blown it here, and I think that's one of the big well, concerns. Bill, quick, I know you got to run, but quickly, if Burlington, let's say, and again, we're, we're being hypothetical here because we have no idea if Burlington's in or interested or not, but let's say Burlington did build something. Do you think they're going to put money in and give land or do whatever they're going to do and then say, well, I tell you what, we're going to build this, but we don't want to step on Hamilton's toes, so we're going to still let all the acts go to Hamilton, and we'll keep our building dark most of the time. Of course not. They are going to, as you say, be competing for the same shows, and if you have concerts that are more rightly sized for a smaller venue, regardless of what that number is, in a newer, more state-of-the-art venue, you have real competition. And some, I don't know how much, I don't know what percent, but some of those events that keep getting cited as the money makers for Hamilton and for First Ontario Centre, some of those events then disappear. So is that kind of stuff factored into the plans? And as it was said by Ms. Uh, by Wayne last night the, uh, from Cadillac Fairview, the, uh, the vice president there. Let's not forget one other thing, and I think it's been understated as well, and that is we know, Bill, around North America that malls are struggling very often. A lot of places are struggling because online buying, Amazon and others, have taken a huge bite out of that industry. Cadillac Fairview and Lime Ridge are Hamilton's number one taxpayer. If that mall... And it's, it seems like it's doing okay now, but let's say five years now, things continue to well, sure they can. Online and, and therein lies the problem. I think Mr. Barwise talked about that last night. Not you only are they the biggest taxpayer tax? now, but there'd be more taxes if they did this. we we got to scoot. 
Uh, I know you're going to be doing more on this again on the program in the coming days, 6 o'clock till 8 o'clock every night here at the Scott Radley Show. Scott, great stuff again last night, and thanks so much for this today. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Uh, we'll drop this for the time being, but certainly this is an issue that's not going to go away. Let's talk about some happy hockey news, though. Uh, a big weekend for Hamilton here. Uh, Rogers Hometown Hockey is coming back to the area. As a matter of fact, they're setting up right now at uh, Morgan Firestone Arena out in Ancaster. And, of course, the host of uh, Hometown Hockey, uh, one Ron McLean, who's already in town, uh, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. Ron, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Bill. I was enjoying that interview. I'm mad at myself now for getting in the way of that one. <laughs> uh, you were you were at the game last night. You were at the uh, the prospects yes, game. Was. What a night, huh? Uh, I don't know. It was a great game. Uh, it was just you know the kids from the World Juniors. We we already knew what to expect a little bit from Lafreniere and Byfield and Drysdale. And I just thought, uh, as an example, we have a uh, Luke Cormier. We met uh, through Rogers Hometown Hockey when we were back east. He plays for the Charlottetown Islanders. Fifty-one, a smaller defenseman for the Team Red. Amazing and. Yeah, they all are, aren't they? You know what I loved about this, the way they did this? I don't want to get too much into the game, but it was just a great time. It wasn't East versus West or anything. I mean, they mixed guys up, and it was, uh, yeah. the, 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 but there was chemistry there anyway. Well, uh, I worked as an assistant coach uh, last year in Red Deer, the CHL top prospect yeah. there, so I helped uh, Brent Sutter. On, I mean, I helped. I sat there on the bench, and uh, Kelly Rudy did the other side. And I remember I was on the ice to do uh, a practice, and we were doing breakouts, and I would dump it into a corner, and I would haul her reverse or you know something else and five guys in unison and i thought how is that possible when they've never played and brent said a big part of it is, is that these guys tend to get together at orientation camps and training camps for juniors whether it's under 18 or under 20 and they all kind of know one another from the time they're targeted at about uh, the brick age which is novice and that's nine uh, they all seem to be very familiar with one another and it showed there was some great uh, tic-tac-toe out there a couple guys got caught right head down yeah. trying to make a decision on whether to move the puck or not because they didn't know their winger or their defense partner that was the only thing you do see is a few beauty hits because of maybe unfamiliarity now it's uh, it's been a couple of years since uh, hometown hockey's been in the area you're down to the waterfront there a couple of years ago and that was a fabulous time last time i was with it ron was i guess two years ago now in collingwood we were up there that weekend and uh, we spent the day on saturday i mean once you start at one end of the street they took up the whole main drag on collingwood there uh, with all of this stuff and uh, there's just one thing after another it's it's a a, a fun fun couple of days really of activity the only thing we don't know about is the dump uh, Saturday, whether we get 20 yeah. centimeters. I was telling everybody, said, well, maybe it won't be as bad. I said, oh, no. I lived in Ancaster for four it, years. Yeah. And we <laughs> it on the mountain. So if they're calling for 15 to 20, we'll get it. Um, but we have lots of, as you said, things going on, music, interactive stuff for the kids. And, and one of the things, Bill, that struck me is uh, more and more we have, uh, like Sarah Nurse will sign autographs. We have Steve Thomas, Shane Corson, and Marty McSorley. Lots of uh, NHL alumni come and help us out. And now we're getting star professionals women's hockey players. Geraldine Heaney's on the broadcast, and that's a, another really neat aspect. Because last, I was up at the uh, Morgan Firestone, I don't know what day, uh, yesterday. I was shooting around uh, Ancaster, showing, uh, putting together a little essay of my, my old home and, and the places that I love to go up in Ancaster. And I ran into the Stony Creek Sabres, who were playing the avalanche of Ancaster, and girls, right? The, yeah. the, the junior women are just fantastic players, feeder system to the under-18 and national team. So really exciting to see what's happening there. Uh, the players are always a hoot, and that's always one of the longest lineups, of course, to get autographs and talk with the Marty, of course, uh, from just down the road in the, in the Dunville area. Uh, Shane Corson's got a real history at Hamilton Hockey. He played junior hockey for the Steelhawks, and he played, as you remember, Ron, one year for Team Canada right after his junior days, and that was the first game at that and then Cops Coliseum, Canada well, versus Russia. Night, two things happened last night. Uh, Shane's teammate was Brad Delgarno, yeah. and Brad was in the suite last night. First Ontario, I play with uh, a guy named Dave Skierman is with First Ontario, who obviously sponsored the building, and we play Tuesday night beer league hockey with Brad Delgarno, so we had our whole team out to watch the game last night, and the, and the other thing that struck me was the Bill Stirrup media yeah. box. I don't know if you know, yesterday was the anniversary of Bill's passing. Yes, it was. So, yeah, so and, and Bill would work all the games that I ever refereed at Mountain Arena. I was in Mountain Arena Tuesday night for what's called the CJHL Top Prospects game, and I remember Evelyn and Bill were just like godsends to me. Uh, first of all, they were godsends on the hockey front, because uh, I could go to the penalty box, and Bill Stirrup would have all the, you know, who instigated the fight, who should get an aggressor, <laughs> who should get a third man in. He was incredible. Yeah. And then uh, there was a lockout in 2004, so CBC has no hockey night in Canada, so we create movie night in Canada, and we would go around to minor hockey programs around uh, the country and just ask the kids about movie stars and if they like movies and such, and then introduce movies on Saturday nights. And the first one we did, 
was at a mountain arena where Stu Hyman had just purchased the junior franchise, the Guilty Bees, and made them a junior A team, the Red Wings. Yeah, that's right. And, I, and I'm there, you know, interviewing the Red Wings about movies, stupid stuff. Bill Stirrup explains to me that he's a movie aficionado. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that all the time I knew him. So he became, uh, never mind the godsend on the hockey side, he became my deep throat for all my movie information for the whole calendar year of uh, 04, 05. Crazy. He had all kinds of reel-to-reels, and he was just a, a, a wealth of information about that, too. Just a, an incredible man, great broadcaster. and oh, We certainly miss him here at CHML. I still got his yeah. picture up on the wall in the newsroom here. As, uh, they say he'd always, because he had no children, I have no children, but he, and I used to referee first games Boxing Day morning in the New Market Showcase, because they knew the families, you know, they needed the kids to be taken care of, so I would go referee the early games, and about the only guy at the rink was Sherry Basson, he was Jewish and he didn't care about the Christmas <laughs> fuss. Uh, but I would go ref, and Bill was the same, right? He he would take on the Christmas shifts for CHML if yep. he needed a live shift just to be a good guy for the rest. Yeah, uh, just an incredible person. Uh, listen, we want to remind people again, it's going to be Saturday and Sunday, of course. Uh, as you say, the, the weather's going to be a little iffy on Saturday. We'll see what's going to happen. I live in Ancaster now, too, Ron, so I know what of you speak. I've got the snow shovel out at the end of the driveway right now getting ready for this. But but it's t- check it out anyway, because there's stuff going on inside and outside, of course, uh, by the arena, and a lot of stuff being set up, and Sunday's going to be a blast as well. It's always great. And I know this is kind of a homecoming, as you mentioned, because you lived in Ancaster for a while, so uh, you know the, that neck of the woods pretty well. And and uh, always a pleasure for, for you to be in town here, and always a pleasure to have you on the program, Ron. Bill, same. Thanks for visiting in Collingwood, and I'll see you in your neck of the woods Sunday. You betcha. Ron McLean, of course, the host of uh, Rogers Hometown Hockey at the Morgan Firestone Arena, of course, on Jerseyville Road in Ancaster. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday, a very, very important day in, in U.S. history. Uh, of course, the impeachment process started in Washington against Donald John Trump. Uh, it was repeated time and time again. Uh, Chief Justice uh, was sworn in uh, and swore the Senate in uh, to overhear the trial, which is actually going to get going on uh, Tuesday, I guess, in earnest. But there's uh, some other work that needs to be done to get set up for this. Still not quite sure how this is going to turn out. And, and we're not even sure how it's going to be run, as a matter of fact, because the two leaders, uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, Chuck Schumer, still don't seem to have agreed a whole lot on, on process uh, and how this is going to go, the format of this. Joining us to talk about everything that's happening and some of the great news is uh, Reggie Cicchini. Reggie, of course, is a Washington producer and uh, correspondent with Global News. Reggie, good morning. How are you today? Good. Good to have you with us today. Uh, fascinating day yesterday on process. Uh, we always talk about our, our Canadian Parliament and British Parliament and you know the, the, the pomp and circumstance. Uh, uh, but we saw that in the Senate yesterday, too. There is a process to this, and it's a respected process by everybody involved in there, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, just because you may not agree with the fact that the president has been impeached or the fact that you don't want to become any kind of, uh, you know, impartial juror in this Senate trial, there is still a longstanding history to, you know, how the Constitution lays things out. And to be able to see Republicans and Democrats walking in side by side, going up to sign uh, the official uh, kind of register as they get this thing started and as they all raise their right hand at the same time and they all take the same oath, you know, again, they may not like the situation, but they do understand and appreciate the importance of how history, uh, you know, has has made things work out. Well, as you mentioned, I mean, this is only the third time this process has begun, uh, and only the second time, I guess, but it's the second time in our lifetime. If anybody who remembers the Bill Clinton impeachment, of course, uh, back in 1999, which happened, by the way, and I heard this in the coverage yesterday, Reggie, and you guys have talked about this in your coverage on on Global National, uh, it's almost to the day, uh, the anniversary of when Bill Clinton's impeachment started, uh, which is rather bizarre, and almost to the day when Donald uh, Trump was uh, was, uh, sworn in as president of the United States three years ago. So there's, there's a symmetry to what's happening here. There is. And I mean, people will kind of, you know, take that as they will. And they'll try to say, you know, you know, try to piece together what the timelines mean. The thing to remember back when Bill Clinton was impeached, though, is it was not an election year. The stakes, you know, were obviously high for President Clinton at the time, but it wasn't kind of this big, dramatic electoral process that we were going through, uh, like we're going through right now with President Trump. You know, that's why I think that there were a lot of people who uh, kind of tuned in very quickly when uh, Chief Justice Roberts was taking his oath and they say uh, Donald John Trump, president of the United States, now pending, because yes, the presidency is now pending uh, based on what the trial outcome is, but we are also in an election year. And I think that there are just a significant number of Democrats and anti-Trump supporters who are also calling him now pending, regardless of whether or not there was an impeachment taking place. By the way, speaking of the uh, the, the Bill Clinton uh, impeachment, uh, news this morning, and this there's a, there's a different twist on this almost every day now, Reggie, uh, that one of the people on the Trump defense team 
team is is a as a blast from the past. A guy who uh, was very very intrinsically involved with the Clintons, and that's Ken Starr from the the the, the Star Report, of course, that, that investigated the Clintons with Whitewater and eventually the Monica Lewinsky thing and everything else. He's he's back in the on the front burner now in Washington. He is this coming out just within the last kind of hour or so. We're getting a better idea as to who this defense team is going to be, and yes, it does include Ken Starr. This is a man who was you know front and center during the Clinton impeachment, who was doing everything he could to get the president of the United States removed for having an affair with an intern, now being you know, tasked with the job of ensuring the president stays in place for allegations of you know, putting national security at risk. So there's there's you know a, a, a bit of a of a jaw drop when you see uh, that Ken Starr is going to be uh, sitting on that panel with people like Jay Sekulow, the president's personal attorney, and Alan Dershowitz, who is the president's kind of personal defender when it comes to Fox News. It was invariable, inevitable, I think, that Dershowitz was going to be on there because he's been a strong defender of Trump right from the beginning, hasn't he? Absolutely, he has. I mean, he he kind of stands with the president when uh, it is convenient for him. He has been known to call the president's actions out when, again, it's convenient for him to say something like that. But he has been a staunch defender of the president on Fox News for the last three years. It is kind of uh, no surprise to see that this is going to be the person who's up uh, standing trying to defend the president against these prosecutors who have been named for the Democrats. Reggie, what's the the buzz uh, on the Beltway right now about some of the extraneous uh, uh, factors in this, which are starting actually have an impact on what's going on here. This is not just about uh, develop, er, you know, delivering those letters of impeachment uh, to the Senate. Uh, there's, uh, there's, well, right now there's the, the Lev Parnas uh, factor to this, and this is all, of course, based on the uh, the two part interview that he did with Rachel Maddow on S- MSNBC. Uh, there's a big push, I'm told, by the Democrats to try to include Parnas, or at least his testimony, into this as well. Obviously, I don't think the Republicans are going to go for that. But it, it's got to cause, uh, I would think, some ease with those that are I may have just, before this whole thing started, thought, well, you know, we're just we're going to make sure that Trump survives this and everything's going to go on. There's a building body of evidence against Trump, and, and Parnas is part of that. There is, and I think that this potentially could be reasons why Nancy Pelosi may have held on to handing this information over to the Senate uh, as as long as she did, possibly knowing that there were going to be some kind of continued investigations and a little bit of a, of an extra document dump towards the end of this. Uh, I think the information that Lev Parnas is putting forward is important to Democrats. I think it also needs to be taken with a grain of salt, because this is a man whose credibility can be questioned uh, quite easily. He's already facing a number of of charges. He's been indicted on campaign finance violations linked to President Trump. So, you know, you you have to pay attention to what he's saying, but the information that he's bringing forward opens up this kind of new door and this new possibility for Democrats to be able to go after people that they've wanted to hear from for months now, namely John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney, who were kind of stopped from being able to speak to House uh, uh, representatives during the investigation part of this. I think this kind of gives that new push for Democrats to say, look, Lev Parnas may Maybe we don't hear from him, but there are people that we want to talk to that he's kind of opened up the door for. Yeah, just about everybody on the TV coverage, of course, has got a whole slew of lawyers and, and former prosecutors as, as the quote-unquote experts on this. And almost to a person yesterday, they said, look, listen to what he says, but don't take it you know, at, at face value. Because, I mean, the guy, as you say, he's a crook to begin with. But as Chuck Rosenstein, who's got his own podcast down in the States, mentioned yesterday, too, he says, well, bad guys hang out with bad guys. He says, to convict bad guys, you have to get bad guys' testimony. So, But it it does raise the specter about the format, which they really, at this point, really, I, I guess, haven't agreed to. Are they going to have witnesses? Are they going to bring people? Is, is there going to be testimony? Is there, has there been any movement on that at all, Reggie? I mean, it's a big number of questions that we're all trying to get answered right now. And I, from from what we understand right now is that the House uh, uh, managers are going to be able to make their case when this starts up on Tuesday. And there will likely be some kind of vote taken after that on whether or not new information, new evidence, new witnesses will be able to come forward. Republicans are, are strong in this. They say that they do not want to have to kind of complete the investigation that they say the House rushed through and didn't get done. Democrats are saying, look, we want to speak to these witnesses because the White House got in the way of letting us talk to some of them. The White House put their foot down and said that they weren't allowed to speak because of executive privilege. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how many Republicans, if any, ultimately decide to side with Democrats when it comes to uh, when it comes to possibly getting these uh, these witnesses to come forward, because there is a possibility we could see one, two, four, possibly even five. 
with the stories of and the information that we're hearing from Parnas and a couple of the other things, that, emails that were released about Giuliani going back and forth with Mulvaney, et cetera, like that, is it putting more pressure on Republicans to, to, to finally acquiesce and say, okay, we'll take witnesses? I think it is putting pressure on ones who are politically vulnerable towards the end of the year. Somebody like Susan Collins, who uh, very, you know, has kind of stirred controversy in her own, whether or not with impeachment, whether or not it was with the Kavanaugh uh, uh, nominations last year, uh, rather in, in 2018. Uh, there are there is a growing number uh, of people who are standing in Maine right now trying to go after Susan Collins because she sides more times with the president than uh, than Democrats want to see. But now that we're hearing someone like Susan Collins says, well, you know what, maybe I do want to hear from witnesses. This could be that kind of push that draws more Republicans over. We simply have to wait until Tuesday. But if we can get, you know, 47 Democrats plus potentially four Republicans to side with them, this would kind of open that door for witnesses to come through and be a huge slap to both Mitch McConnell and the president. Yeah, I mean, McConnell and Lindsey Graham aren't going to budge on this, but you're right. I think there are some other vulnerable Republicans that might just decide, okay, maybe this is the the, the, the course of least resistance and maybe we should follow through on, on something like that. Uh, but if it does happen, is, is there a compromise to be reached here? Uh, because as we've heard, there's never been an impeachment before that didn't have uh, somebody testifying, I have some witnesses, but in the Clinton if, uh, impeachment, if I recall, Reggie, uh, it, it, it was not t- televised. It was all done behind closed doors. They were in-camera sessions on this, uh, which might please the Republicans, because I, I guess one of the big things they want to do is they don't want America to see what's going on, and they don't want to hear this testimony. Maybe if they did it behind closed doors, it might ease that concern. Yeah, there is that possibility, because during the Bill Clinton uh, impeachment uh, trial, at least during the House, there was a lot of deposition given on tape that was then played out during the House, and there was some witness testimony, uh, up to and including Monica Lewinsky, that yeah. spoke uh, during the Senate. I think this time around, you know, if it goes behind closed doors, I think that raises potential questions for Republicans uh, from the public in general, who are going to say, why are you taking it behind closed doors? Why can't this be out in the open? If you have nothing to hide, why can't we see it? And I think that's where the problem that Republicans are running into uh, kind of that wall is standing in front of them. If they allow you know a potential witness in, it could be damning and damaging for uh, for the president's case. But if they take it behind a closed door, Democrats are going to kind of raise the specter here of saying, "Well, why are why is this kind of being hidden away from the public? If you have nothing to hide, bring it all out there." This is this is going to be a very delicate line that Republicans have to walk. Mitch McConnell, of course, the the Republican leader in the Senate, uh, mused the other day that uh, he'd just as soon take a vote without any witnesses or testimony at all and just you know exonerate the president. Uh, he doesn't have the votes for that, and I, I, I'm highly suspicious that it's. Uh, it's not going to happen. But what about the court of public opinion here, uh, Reggie? The, the, the surveys I've seen sees uh, the majority of, of Americans, Republican and Democrat, want to see a process here. They don't want to see this thing swept under the carpet. Uh, are the Republicans going to have to go through this, whether they like it or not, simply to appease uh, public opinion? I think that they're going to have to because, you know, while we do see that there is still a growing number of, you know, Democrats who want to see uh, impeachment go forward, they want to see the entire uh, uh, ordeal play out properly, there is still a majority of Americans in general that want to ensure that, uh, you know, the president just doesn't simply get off because there are Republicans who are lining up beside him that say, you know, we have control, we have the votes, let's just, you know, let him off the hook without kind of going through the due process. There's on the approach to 47% of Americans who say, that they want to see everything play out the way it should. And I don't think that somebody like Mitch McConnell uh, could, or or rather somebody like Mitch McConnell, could potentially come out on the losing end because, again, this is an election year where people are vulnerable. There could be a potential rise up. Will Mitch McConnell lose his job? Probably not. But there is a growing possibility that Democrats could rally against any of these Republicans if this trial, uh, you know, is ultimately shown to be something that Republicans just want to wipe off the court because the president has told them that. There's another piece of information that seems to get buried, obviously, because of a lot of the other impeachment stuff that was going on, uh, but may well be relevant to this, too. And and, and, and as you mentioned, Reggie, you, you can look at a guy like Glenn Parvison, say, or Lev Parvison, say, uh, no credibility there, and, and that's going to be debated. But the Government Accountability Office, the, a nonpartisan agency that reports to Congress, uh, announced yesterday that uh, withholding the funds pledged to Ukraine uh, while it sought a Biden investigation by the Trump administration actually does violate the law. Uh, that governs how the White House disperses money. So technically, uh, does that validate that first article of impeachment that that the Democrats and the Congress are accusing the president of? 
Well, in the eyes of the Democrats, yes, but then you have people from inside the Office of Management and Budget who are simply trying to fight back at it and say that, you know, there were policy reasons that, you know, this should have gone forward, and we're starting to see another battle up. I mean, look, the GAO simply coming out saying that, you know, quote, execution of the law doesn't permit the president to substitute his own policy priorities for those that Congress has enacted into law. This is one organization say, who, who, is, who is impartial, saying that the president kind of went above and beyond what he's actually actually allowed to do. And now we have Republicans. Now we have members of the administration. Now we have members of the OMB who are who were key players in withholding uh, these hundreds of millions of dollars in aid for Ukraine, trying to battle it out with each other, trying to either say the president has the ultimate right to do whatever he wants, or the president doesn't have the ultimate right because Congress had already set actions in law. This is going to be a debate that, uh, you know, will continue uh, kind of when this thing starts up on Tuesday, because this was a big moment in a big report that the uh, GAO put out yesterday. Now, there, there may actually be an attempt to, to get a ruling on this, I guess, from John Roberts, the Supreme Court uh, Justice, who's uh, presiding over this. But he doesn't have as much power uh, in this uh, scenario, does he? No, he's just the he's kind of the presiding officer in the room, and he's going to keep quorum. And he can ultimately try to kind of uh, uh, put the law down and say, "This is what I say happens." But all it's going to take is a majority of senators to be able to override what the chief justice has to say. He's simply in that position to allow all 100 senators to be able to act impartial and put their vote on the table when it comes to things. So Senate can still override the chief justice. You know, this is a position that you can imagine that a, a judge who is supposed to be impartial is now put in a position where he has to try and act impartial while also trying to understand that whenever he does that, it's likely going to get overridden by a majority. What kind of an attitude is Roberts going to take towards this? Uh, I mean, Justice Rehnquist, who of course oversaw the Clinton administration, uh, in hindsight, they asked him about his performance, and he said, "I didn't do much of anything, and I did it well." Uh, he basically an observer, and, and unless he was spoken to, is, is Roberts going to be more proactive than that? I mean, I, I, it's 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 possible, but it's also possible that he that he's going to act in this role of impartiality because this is a man who's already kind of caught himself in spurs with the president uh, over legal decisions over the last couple of years. And if he comes across as trying to either look like he's uh, going with you know the, the Democrats or kind of going against the Republicans or vice versa, uh, this could potentially cause a, a further rift down the road. Whether it's between uh, the Chief Justice and uh, sitting Republicans or sitting Democrats, or between the Chief Justice and the President, I think. He's going to uh, do his constitutional role of sitting there and ensuring that quorum is kept and ensuring that, uh, you know, the, the day is moving along as it should. And I think he's only going to kind of speak up if he fully sees that the, you know, quote unquote courtroom is starting to get out of control and he's going to try and bring it back in. But I think he ultimately understands that this is the Senate's house. This is Mitch McConnell's house. And this is the uh, duty, con the constitutional duty of these jurors, a.k.a. the senators, to be able to carry out this impeachment. Well, over and aside for the process itself, which uh, started to unfold in, in earnest yesterday, of course, uh, with the swearing-in of the senators and with the chief justice, uh, there's been a different twist <laughs> almost every other day. So we'll be watching your coverage later on tonight on Global National. Reggie, thanks as always for this. Great talking with you again today. Th thank you. Reggie Cicchini, of course, uh, global correspondent in Washington, D.C., overlooking, uh, well, what's happening with the impeachment hearing. As we mentioned now, the actual process and it will start on Tuesday, but uh, there's a lot of jockeying going back and forth in the meantime. And you have different breaks on that, and of course we'll pass them on as soon as we find out. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.